Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. If you have your Bible open to Luke chapter 2, second Sunday of Advent, as you do, turn to verse 8 of Luke chapter 2, and if you would stand with me as I read from the Gospel of Luke. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to people he favors. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Pray that you would teach us what we do not know and what we are not yet. Make us for Christ's sake your glory, and our good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, church. You may be seated. There's a story told of a a king who offered a great prize to the artist who could paint the best picture of peace. Think about that for a moment. If you were asked to paint or draw a picture of peace, what would be in your painting? Well, the contest had stirred the imagination of artists everywhere. So many artists that more than Rockport could handle. They all wanted a chance at winning the prize. Their painting being the winning painting. The king looked at all of them as they all came in and one by one revealed each painting. And as as he would do so, the, the crowd would cheer and and anticipation and expectation that this was the one that best captured peace. But one by one, the king did not find what he was looking for. As he came to the final two paintings, tensions were, were high, and he revealed the first of the last two paintings, and a hush fell over the crowd. It was a picture of a calm lake, I mean, so calm, it reflected the mountains that surrounded it, the majestic peaks. Overhead was a beautiful blue sky with the white puffy clouds that looked like cotton balls. And over on the grassy shoreline, just the perfect little pasture for a flock of sheep to be eating and at peace. And everyone who saw that particular painting thought, ah, this is it. The perfect picture of peace. But there was one more painting. 
And so the king went to uncover that last painting. And the crowd gasped in surprise at what they saw. Could this last painting be the one of peace? The picture told a different story. The mountains in this picture were not majestic, but rather they were barren and rocky, hard to look at. Above was not a blue sky with white puffy clouds, but a dark sky with storm clouds. And from those storm clouds, the rain fell and the lightning danced from cloud to cloud. Down the side of the mountain, due to so much rain, a torrential waterfall, angry, was coming down. As the crowd looked at that painting, it felt cold, almost empty. It didn't look like peace at all. But the king, he studied that picture closely, and down in the bottom corner of the painting, a little sparrow had built a nest on a tree branch that had reached out to the waterfall. And in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the ugly, in the midst of the muddy water coming down the waterfall, undisturbed sat the sparrow in her nest. The king chose that last picture as the picture of peace. Friends, for us, peace was promised. And for the people of God, peace was promised centuries before he would make his arrival. That peace is part of what raised the anticipation of his coming. And when the announcement of his arrival had come on that hillside that night to those shepherds, the realization of all that God had promised had come true. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, you heard it read a moment ago, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. When we are in Christ, God's peace will fill and rule our hearts as he rules and reigns in our life. Even in the most difficult of circumstances, of course we all want the still waters and majestic peaks and white puffy clouds and blue skies. But in the midst of that storm of the other painting, that's where we come to rest under the wings of his protection. Where we find our refuge is in the Prince of Peace. We don't want to limit the topic of peace this morning to our circumstances. If we limit our peace to or based on our circumstances, we could make the mistake of thinking that our good circumstances or times of good are because of us and we miss his peace in those good times. Similarly to King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar had a bit of a, well, he was a narcissist, right? We could say he built a golden statue for his people to worship him by, and if you didn't, then there was certainly trouble ahead for you, and there's fire to face. But King Nebuchadnezzar states in Daniel chapter 4, verse 4, that 
He was flourishing. He had, he had good times. His palace was beautiful and big, and he was at ease with his goodness. But then he had a dream. And in that dream, which Daniel was the only one who could interpret it truly for him, that dream disturbed him because in that dream, he was going to go through a time that would point him to the true source of life and peace, which was the God of Israel, not himself or his circumstances. We also may be in the place where we think that when times are bad, somehow God is not with us. Somehow God has left us. That he has for some reason stopped caring about us. And if we want to get real dramatic this morning, we might even go so far as to think that God is not all-powerful, not always present, and not all-knowing. That somehow the Bible has not told us the truth about who God is. That somehow this word of his is just full of empty promises. If we base peace only on our circumstances. If we're supposed to be comfy and never find hardship, never go through hardship, similar to the disciples in the boat when Jesus is asleep and the winds and the waves come up against the boat and they're in a storm and they cry out to Jesus, don't you care that we are dying? And of course, Jesus after that gets up and calms the winds and the waves because that's what he does. He's in control of his creation. But if I remember the Psalm 23, the psalmist correctly in that wonderful chapter, I, re, I remember <clears throat> that it says, he will make me lie down in green pastures and lead me beside the calm waters. I remember that. And if I also remember the next half of that verse is that he will lead me through the valley of the shadow of death. And I will fear no evil because my shepherd is leading and his rod and his staff, his protection brings comfort even though we go through the darkest places. This is the, this is the peace of God. We remember that in this season of Advent that we set our minds in the place where we remember what Advent is, that it's a, it's a season of expectation. It's a season of, of longing with hope of the coming Messiah. That's where the people in Jesus' day, or in his arrival time, in Luke chapter one, Matthew, as he also captures it, that's where they are. It's been a long time since they had heard from God. It's been a long time since they had heard of a prophet or a, a, an angel such as the shepherds received that night. An angel had already come to Elizabeth, had already come to Mary, and now we have his arrival. That's what Advent is. It, it helps us to remember the past, the anticipation of the coming Messiah. It links us to our present, that presently we are also being pointed forward, also waiting for the Messiah's return. And we share with that ancient longing for, for Messiah, for, for our Savior to come. And in that ancient longing, we are waiting to celebrate his birth. And I want to invite you to come back on Christmas Eve at 6 to 6 p.m. to celebrate that evening, his birth. But it also reminds us to be alert for his coming and his return. 
We look back, we, we celebrate what, what it is to look forward with hope and anticipation of that glorious return. And because Jesus is Emmanuel, because he is with us, God with us, everything Jesus is, that he perfectly represents the characteristics we journey through in Advent, hope, peace, joy, and love. Today we are going to look at the peace of God leading to peace with God. We find in this story of Luke chapter two that peace is proclaimed. Peace is proclaimed. As the shepherds are out doing what they do, shepherding the sheep out on the hillside that evening, we wanna just catch a glimpse of what it was like to be a shepherd. They were a lower class, not the lowest, but they certainly were not upper class. They were dirty. I mean, they dealt with sheep. It's kind of a smelly job. It comes with, comes with the territory. But they were kind of at the bottom of, of society at, at one point. They were not like that. If you go back in Israel's history, you'll find that all of the greats, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, even King David was a shepherd at one time as a little boy. All of their greats were shepherds. And yet by the time that we arrive to this time in Luke chapter two, they're not. They're certainly not in the category of the religious elite. When we think about a message such as these guys received that night, we might think, surely God would go to the religious leadership, the priests, right? Surely he would go to those that were gathered at the temple day in and day out and reveal that his son had been born. But that's not what happened. God sends his messenger to the shepherds, to the lowly, out on that hillside that night. Now, we look at verse nine. As the shepherds are out doing what they do, verse nine, God interrupts their evening. An angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. More on that in just a moment, but just think, if you will, for a moment, if the glowing and shining light is not enough to freak them out, guess what starts they start talking. I mean, has anybody had that experience? No, don't tell me about what happened to you. No, we don't want to go there right now. But think about it. They're out on the hillside. Now, I love, a couple of weeks ago, I got to go hunting up in North Texas, so it was bitterly cold, and because uh, it's not cold here like that. But in early morning, before the sun comes up, I love those moments. Though I'm shivering uncontrollably, I love those moments because it's before the sun comes up and I can gradually see the sunrise. It's always peaceful. It's always beautiful. I love those moments, but it's a gradual thing. Here these guys are doing what they're doing and suddenly in the darkness of night, the glory of God is revealed and this angel starts talking to them and they're terrified. First part of his message is don't be afraid. I'm bringing you a message of good news, of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior is born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. And here's the sign. You'll find him in the manger, tightly wrapped in cloth. They deliver, this, this angel delivers the message. And if one talking angel and the glory of the Lord is not enough, here comes the whole host of heaven. 
standing around, and they start talking to one another. Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people that he favors. They're afraid for obvious reasons, maybe not so obvious, I don't know, but there are angels in the sky. They're speaking to one another. But I wanna draw your attention to what is around them. I don't know that it's the angel that's scaring them so much as it is the glory of God wrapped around them, shining down into the darkness of night. The glory of God. Moses would meet with God in the Old Testament, and when he was done, his face would be glowing, and people were, people were a little tweaked about that. They, they weren't quite sure what to think about that, and God had, I mean, Moses had been in the, in the presence of God, and here these shepherds are, and, and they are surrounded by the glory of God, and I'm about 99.9% .9 certain that if you encountered the glory of God like this, you and I would both be afraid. Why? Because the glory of God is pure and right and holy. And that light shining in the darkness of that night shines forth his holy perfection into the darkness of our sin. Those shepherds realize these are messengers from God. And when the glory of God arrives and shines in that moment just like that, I have no doubt that they're unholiness, their sinfulness is in the forefront of their minds. But the message of the angel is this, today a savior was born for you. You don't need to be afraid any longer because this savior will enable you to be in the peace of God and one day dwell in the glory of God for eternity. These shepherds could not make that. You and I cannot be in that glory for eternity without Jesus Christ, without this Savior who was born for us on this day. The shepherds go on to Bethlehem just as they were instructed and they find Jesus, the Christ child, with Mary just as the angel told them that they would find him. And then they carry on the message to others. God was with them. Isaiah, the prophet, had spoken the truth. His name would be Emmanuel, God with us. Last week, my dad did a, a really great uh, job pointing out to us that God had always been with his people. He never left his people, ever. But now, God had come in the flesh, just as John 1 tells us. And today, we see, and I hope that you will trust in Jesus as the Prince of Peace because in Christ's coming, the Prince of Peace had come. Charles Spurgeon preached a sermon back in 1860 entitled, A Blast of the Trumpet Against False Peace. I want to direct your attention this morning to seven people, seven types of people who claim peace when there is no peace. In Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 14, Jeremiah is warning us against those who preach peace, peace, when there is no peace. Friend, we will look in all kinds of places for peace in our life. All kinds of people, all kinds of circumstances. We will even make other gods all to try to find peace for our life. Only with disappointment because we even to ourselves will preach peace, peace 
when there is no peace. The first one that he pointed out was the one who claims peace because of entertainment. This is the one who never stops, always taking excursions, trips, seeking entertainment, wanting to be entertained, always on the go, and they depend on that for peace. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. That verse is one that they don't like because it is in the stillness and the quiet that you can sense God's presence and you can sense his peace. That's why he says, be still, stop fighting and know that I am God. They don't want to hear that. And so they'll try to find their peace in entertainment, not realizing that the constant going in entertainment is what keeps them from finding the true peace that only Jesus Christ can offer. The second is the one who claims that there is no God and that he or she is at peace with their status in life. But the Bible says in Psalm 14, verse 1, that it is a fool who says in their heart, there is no God. It's a pretty strong word in the Old Testament in the Hebrew language. It is a fool who says there is no God. This is that self-made man or woman who has somehow arrived at some kind of self-actualization and they have found themselves in their own delusions. They found themselves in, perhaps in a mixture of, of other religions, but most likely not. They find some kind of philosophy of the age and whatever they find out there, whatever God they have called on or just belief in no God is not going to bring peace. They're creating noise to drown out the truth that only Christ is where we can find true peace. The third is the careless one, those who are determined to just let well enough alone. Spurgeon equates this to a soldier. I love this, this picture that he equates this to a soldier who is more annoyed by the spotlight that points out the enemy in the darkness who is about to kill him and that annoyance causes him to turn and shoot out the light rather than deal with the enemy revealed by the light. And thus, he will cry peace when he is overcome by the enemy in the darkness. Friend, don't be careless. Don't be careless with the gospel. Don't be careless with who Jesus is. He has come that you would have peace with God by having the peace of God, which is Jesus. Fourth is the person who makes the resolutions but never carries them out. Ah, that season's coming, isn't it? Yippee skippy, I can't wait. More practically, this would be the person who would put off paying the bill. I'll pay it someday until the bill goes to the collector and then it's too late. You, without Christ, are spiritually bankrupt. You hear God's offer of grace, but you're saying, I'll wait, I got plenty of time. I got plenty of time. I wanna live some more. I wanna see what's out there. I wanna see the world. I wanna experience all the world has to offer. I'll get around to it one day, but friend, one day it'll be too late. 
There will be no second chance when you stand before the judgment seat of God. Fifth is the person who is ignorant of the true gospel. I wonder how many of us in this room could share the gospel. Do you know what you have believed? You've been baptized, great, why? What, what story, what, what truth have you believed? Is it the truth of the gospel? Do you know your Bible? Do you, do you, do you know the glory of, of the atonement on the cross? Do you know why we have the law of the Old Testament? Do you know why it's important to work through that? The world tries to sell peace with all kinds of false gospels. But friend, the world is trying to sell that which it has no ownership to offer. Peace is, God is the only one who can offer true and lasting peace. And he does so through his son, Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we need to know, you need to know in whom you have believed. And you need to know that the Bible says that he is able to keep that which is committed unto him. Don't be ignorant of the true gospel. Sixth is the person who believes a set of beliefs but lacks a real living faith in Christ. Your peace, Spurgeon said, is based on your performance. It's based on your religion. It's based on your rules. You've got the wrong gospel. It's not about your performance. Your performance will not get you peace with God. Only the grace and mercy of God will bring peace. The relationship with Jesus Christ. It says there, the angel's announcement, he said, peace on earth to people he favors. That is God's unmerited favor. We don't earn that favor. You're not earning peace with God. His favor is wrapped up in his sovereignty. He favors whom he will favor. It's called grace, his sovereignty. For you and me, the key here is a living faith in Christ, a trusting faith in Christ that will lead us through perseverance and endurance of trusting him until he returns. Finally, it's the person that God has turned over to their own depravity. You can read Psalm 14 and Romans chapter one to understand who that is. I wanna encourage you to do that sometime this week. Basically, this is the person that has ignored or refused the offers of grace, the offers of the gospel, the offers of salvation through Jesus Christ, and he's, he or she has refused enough that God has just said, okay, I'm gonna turn you over to the depravity of your own minds, and you can read Romans 1 and see how far that will take you in this life. It's not gonna take you very far. Listen, we are no different than any of these seven or even a few others because sometimes we look to each other for peace. We look for it in our possessions. We look for it in our, in our families. We'll turn to some kind of religion. You may be here this morning hoping for a little peace. We might turn to sports. And like my dad said last week, if you're an Aggie, they ain't got no peace. <laughs> we might turn to recreation to find a little peace. <clears throat> some of you turn to shopping. This is your season of peace. Some of us might turn to something like alcohol or drugs. We might turn to a nasty little online habit to find peace. 
Oh, we might look to music. We might look to books. We might even look to busyness to find peace. Friends, peace is only found in Jesus Christ because we, we, can, we can go. It's kind of like that old song, uh, looking for love in all the wrong places. We can look for peace in all the wrong places. We'll try to turn it up anywhere, but the reality is true peace is only found in Jesus Christ, son of the living God. Let me show you what this Bible says and how I know this to be true based on what God's word says. Look at Colossians chapter one, verse nine. Colossians chapter one, not verse nine, verse 19, excuse me. Colossians chapter one, verse 19. great passage in Colossians chapter 1, and I'm sorry that I'm breaking into the middle of it. Really should start reading in verse 15, but we don't have time to go through all of that. That's like 10 sermons. But verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him, that is Christ, to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace, here's the key point, listen, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Here it is. We got God. He is pleased to have all of his godness in his son, Jesus. So Jesus, the son, the son of God, God himself, all of God's fullness dwells in Christ Jesus, while he's here with us, and through all of that godness and his humanity, he's both God and man fully, the whole picture. In him, he is able to reconcile everything to himself. He is paying the price. The bill is paid in full. He didn't wait for it to go to collections. It's paid in full. And through that, he has made peace through his blood. Through the sacrifice, that's the atonement, through his sacrifice on the cross, by taking our place at the cross, Christ, Jesus, has made peace. A large number of people want, to, want, want peace. They're after peace. They look for it. And then we've, we've looked in every single conceivable place and person or, or outside religion but it is only Christ Jesus by his death on the cross, by his blood shed for you and me that you can come to him today repenting of that sin and by faith in Jesus receive the peace of God, therefore leading to peace with God. Christ made peace. John chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus said to his disciples, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Friend, Christ gives peace. He made peace, he gives peace. Now right here in John 14, he's about to go to the cross and he's talking to his disciples. He's told them in chapter, uh, chapter, this very chapter, verse one through six, he's told them he's going away to prepare a place. Thomas freaked out. He said, we don't know the way. He said, yes, you do. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And now in verse 27, he says, boys, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. 
You're not gonna find this peace somewhere else, boys. Don't let your heart be troubled or afraid. The peace the world gives isn't lasting and isn't real. It isn't going to quench that thirst for peace with God that we all long for in our heart. It is a real and lasting peace because, again, it is first peace with God. And then that begins to transform your life on the outside, from the inside out, and how we relate to one another and peace with one another. Again, this is not peace earned, but purchased by the blood of Christ at the cross. So he made peace, he gives peace, Christ is finally our peace. Ephesians chapter two, verses 12 and 14. Paul writes, at that time you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. Back in verse 12, he says, you are without Christ, and without Christ you are excluded from the citizenship of Israel. Now we will see that as the church and God's kingdom. You are foreigners to this. Listen to what he says at the end of verse 12. Without hope and without God in the world. What a sad place to be. But you know, there's people, maybe even some of you, you're at church this morning, but you don't have Christ. And so you fall into that category that you are without hope and without God in this world. But in Christ Jesus, he says, verse 13, you who are far away have been brought near by what? The blood of Christ. He is our peace. In verse 14, he says, for he is our peace. Only Christ could accomplish this, that by faith we are declared righteous, Paul says in Romans 5.1, and we have peace with God. We don't declare our righteousness. God declares righteousness for us because of Christ Jesus. Friends, to have true peace, we must have Christ. Not a set of beliefs or a list of right behaviors, but Christ and Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. Listen, I'm not saying that if you will trust in Jesus today that he's going to calm the wind and the waves and the storms of your life. I think that's a, a bad understanding of that story where the disciples are in the boat and he's asleep in the ship. I think that's a bad understanding of that. But what we see in scripture, again, pointing you back to Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and they, thy staff, they comfort me. It's not a promise to keep you out of the storm. It's a promise to be with you in the storm. If you will trust him today, you will know this peace. That storm, first and foremost, that storm is your sin. It's sin in all of the world. That sin has separated his creation from God. It separated you and I from God. Yet here is Christ Jesus that by the blood, his blood shed on the cross has paid the penalty for us. And today he's calling you to come. Come in repentance. Turn away from your sin today. Come and find peace with God, peace that he purchased when he breathed his last and said, it is finished. Peace that is fulfilled when on the third day he came back to life. 
Now, Christian, you've already done that. Praise God. You should know the peace of God firsthand, but sometimes we do get wrapped up and we forget. Paul reminds us, don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, make your request, present your request to God, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If that is you this morning, believer, and you're struggling with that peace and trying to find that peace of God this morning, I want to invite you to come to the altar and pray. Give thanksgiving to God, one, for his peace, two, for the protection that he offers to your heart and your mind, that when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't need to fear, you don't need to be afraid, because he is with you. His rod and his staff, they bring comfort. And I close with Paul's writing to the Second Thessalonians 3, verse 16, and when he says, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. Every head bowed and every eye closed.